Chapters 43 and 44 of Love's Bitterest Cup. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter 43. Wynnette's Strange Adventure. What ailed Wynnette? That evening, while the family were all assembled in the drawing-room after dinner, she stole away and went to find the housekeeper. The old woman was in her own sitting-room, joining the servants' hall. Mrs. Kelsey welcomed the little lady, who had already become a great favorite with her. "'I hope I don't disturb you,' said Wynnette, deprecatingly. "'Deary me, no, miss,' replied the housekeeper, rising and placing a chair for her young visitor. Wynnette thanked her and sat down. "'You have been over the old castle, I hear, Miss Wynnette,' said the old woman. "'Yes, and I came here to get you to tell me all you know of that ancient rune. You must have been housekeeper here for a long time, and you must know lots about it.' "'Yes, my dear young lady, I have been here, girl and woman, for fifty years.' My mother was housekeeper here before me. I was still roommate under, until she died about twenty years ago, and I got her place, through the kindness of the earl. That must have been very agreeable to you, as you were so used to the house. It was, my dear young lady, it was. And you must know lots of stories about the old castle. The housekeeper suddenly became silent and grave. And your mother must have known lots more than you did, and told them to you. The housekeeper looked solemn and reticent. "'Didn't she now? You might as well tell me. "'I am the niece of the Earl, and my mother is his heiress presumptive.' "'Yes, I know that, young lady,' said Mrs. Kelsey, speaking at last. "'Well, then, you needn't make a mystery of the matter to one of the family, you know. "'What is it that you wish to hear, Miss Wynnette?' "'Oh, any story of the old rune, so that it is a really marrow-freezing, blood-curdling, hair-raising story. "'There is the guide to Enderby Castle, Miss Wynnette.' "'Oh, I know, but that contains only outlines. "'Outlines traced in blood and fire, to be sure, but still only outlines. "'I want a story with more body in it. "'Come now, that story of the Lady Cunegonde of Enderby, "'who was the greatest beauty of her time, "'for whom kings and princes were vainly breaking their hearts, "'and who was immured alive for marrying a handsome soldier. "'Come, tell me all about her. That's a darling.' "'My dear Miss Wynnette, I know no more about her than you do.' not a bit more than what is printed in the guide. No, nor yet did my old mother rest her soul. But now, tell the truth. Does not the ghost of Lady Cunegonde haunt the round tower in which she was immolated? Not as ever I heard of, my dear. Not as ever I heard of. But Mrs. Kelsey, said Wynnette solemnly, I thought the old castle was a venerable, historical building. So it is, my dear, so it is. Nobody can gainsay that. "'But, Mrs. Kelsey, no castle, however ancient and however full of legends and kings and princes and heroes and saints, can be even respectable, much less venerable, unless it has its ghost.' "'Enderby Old Castle has its ghost, Miss Wynnette,' retorted the old housekeeper, drawing herself up with dignity. "'Ah, I thought so. I knew so. Tell me about it, Mrs. Kelsey,' eagerly exclaimed Wynnette. "'My dear, I cannot, especially to-night, especially to-night.' Why not tonight? Because, my dear, this very night of the twentieth of June is the anniversary of the murder of that poor young woman and her baby, when her spirit always revisits the scene of her murder, said the old woman, solemnly. Do you mean, are you talking of the lady's maid who was murdered by the coachman and whose body was thrown down the shaft in the castle hall? gravely inquired Wynnette. Hush, my dear, hush, don't talk of it, or you may draw that perturbed spirit even here. "'You know all about that tragedy, then?' persisted Wynnette. "'My mother did, and told me. 
and people enough have seen the ghost in the castle hall on this anniversary. Have you ever seen it? Hush! Yes, once, and I never want to see it again, so that's the last word I will speak about it tonight. Some other time I'll tell you all, but not now. Not while her troubled spirit is abroad. Hush! What was that? Nothing but the sough of the wind. Oh, I thought it was the sob of a woman. I thought it was her sob. Oh, my dear, for the Lord's sake, drop the subject, pleaded the old woman. I will drop it this instant, if you will promise to tell me all you know some day soon, whispered Wynnette. Yes, yes, I promise. Let a Sunday and a church service come between this night and the story, and I will tell you on Monday, said the housekeeper, whom Wynnette's persistence had brought to a state of great nervous excitement. The young girl then arose, and bade the old woman good night, and returned to the drawing-room, where she found all the family circle about to separate and retire. Wynnette went to the room which she shared with her eldest sister. Odalite got ready and went to bed. "'Have you done with the light?' inquired Wynnette. "'Yes, why?' inquired the elder sister. "'Because I want to turn it down low.' "'But are you not coming to bed?' "'Not yet. I wish to open the shutters and look out at the old castle by moonlight.' I will draw the curtains at the foot of your bed, so that the beams may not keep you awake. Oh, the moonlight would never disturb my slumbers, Wynnette, said Odalite. Nevertheless, the younger girl went and drew the white dimity curtains across the foot of the bed, which was facing the west window. Then Wynnette turned down the light to a mere glowworm size, and opened the folding shutters of the window, and sat down to look out at the prospect. The moon was in its third quarter, had passed the meridian, and was now halfway down the western hemisphere, and hung over the sea, above the ruined castle on the cliff, illumining the scene with a weird light. Wynnette looked down on the great square enclosure of the courtyard, shut in by strong walls of mighty buildings on all four sides, the walls of the ancient ruin being on the western side, directly opposite her window. The courtyard was as secure and as clean as the carefully kept interior of a barracks, and it was so quiet at this hour that the sound of the sea, beating against the rocks at the base of the old ruin, was heard as deafening thunder. But Wynnette's eyes were fixed on that row of ancient windows in the ruined hall, and looked like mere slits in the wall. And now happened to the girl a very marvelous event. As she gazed on these narrow openings, they became illumined from within by a strange light. It was not from the moon, for the moon was far above, and it would have to be an hour lower to shed that light. Besides, it was a dark red light, like nothing on this earth, Wynnette gazed and wondered, wondered and gazed, it was a steady light, it never wavered or flickered, never brightened or faded. Wynnette gazed and wondered, wondered and gazed, until, drawn by an irresistible fascination, she arose slowly and turned from the window, went past her sister's bed, stooped over, saw that Odalite was fast asleep, and then she softly opened the chamber door, passed out and closed it behind her. In the upper hall lights were always left burning low through the night. By these, Wynnette found her way down the grand staircase to the armorial hall below. Here also lights were burning low. By these she found her way to the great west door in front, took down the bars, unhooked the chain, drew back the bolts, and turned the heavy key in the huge lock, all so noiselessly as to make her wonder, until she remembered how well-oiled every lock, key, bolt, and hinge was, to save the nerves of the invalid earl. She drew open the heavy doors and went out into the night, the courtyard was bathed in moonlight, except where the old rune some yards in front cast its black shadow, for the moon was now behind it. Everything was as still as death except the sea that thundered at the foot of the cliff. 
Wynnette felt no fear of material dangers. She knew that she was as safe from harm as though she were in a fortress. She went straight across the courtyard, drawing nearer and nearer to the haunted castle, and as she approached it she gazed more intently at those luridly lighted loopholes. And then, oh strange, the light seemed not to come from torch or candle, but from spectral eyes glaring forth into the night and drawing her on with an irresistible power. Wynnette could not turn and fly, she was under a mighty spell. She must move on, 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 until she reached the pile of fallen stones around the castle wall, and over these, climbing with difficulty and danger, still moving on and on, until she reached the portals. The great iron-bound oaken doors seemed now to be closed and secured from within against intrusion, yet she was still drawn on so powerfully that she pushed with all her strength against those mighty doors, but with as little effect as if she had tried to move a mountain, when, suddenly the door opened, a cold hand seized her wrist, drew her in, and the door closed. CHAPTER Thirty Four, AT MIDNIGHT IN THE HAUNTED CASTLE A horrid specter rises on my sight, close to my side, plain and palpable, in all clear seeming and close circumstance. What form is this? O oh, speak, if voice thou hast. Tell me what sacrifice can soothe thy spirit, can still the unquiet sleeper of the grave, for this most awful visitation is, beyond endurance of the bravest soul, in flesh and blood enrobed. Joanna Bally. Wynnette's blood curdled. She would have cried out, but her organs of speech seemed paralyzed. She would have struggled to free herself, but the icy hand closed on her wrist like a fetter and drew her on. She could only pray mutely and hard. She could see nothing before her, not even the fingers of frost that closed around her wrist, and drew her on and on through the black darkness. Again she tried to cry out, but the sound of her voice died in her throat. Again she tried to struggle, but the cold hand drew her on and on with irresistible power. Where was it taking her? Perhaps to the terrible trap opening into the shaft leading down to the dread dungeon of the dark death, under the foundations of the castle. Oh, if she could only cry out! Oh, if she could only tear herself away from her horrible invisible captor! Oh, if she could but see where she was! But her voice seemed palsied and her limbs paralyzed while she was drawn on and on through deepest darkness by an icy, invisible, irresistible hand. On and on, now to the right, now to the left, now up a few rugged steps, and now down and down, into deeper depths of darkness, if that were possible. Once more Wynnette tried to cry out, but failed, tried to escape, but failed, strained her eyes to see, but failed utterly in all attempts. It is a dream, it is a nightmare, oh, if I could only scream so they would hear me and come to me. "'Oh, father, oh, mother, oh, Lord, have mercy on me,' her spirit cried, in her agony of terror, but no word came from her frozen lips. Down, 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 into profounder abysms of blackness. Where were they going? Under the foundations of the castle? Under the bed of the sea? To the very center of the earth? Would they never stop descending? Oh, what a fool I was to come here at midnight! Shall I ever get out of this alive? Oh, no, never! Oh, what a horrible fate!' Will they ever find me or my body? Oh, no, never. How could they? Oh, my dear mother. Oh, my dear father. Whatever will you think has become of me, your willful Wynnette? My whole arm is freezing from the clasp of that icy hand around my wrist. What is it going to do with me? But it is only a dream. I know it is only a dream. A cruel, deadly nightmare. Oh, if I could only scream. If I could only struggle and wake up. But I shall die in my sleep here, and they will find me dead in the morning. O oh Lord, forgive my sins and save my soul. What was that? 
Suddenly the silence of that utter darkness was broken by a sound that became a noise, a roar, a deafening thunder, and Wynnette, in the anguish of her utter terror and helplessness, heard and knew the thunder of the sea against the rocks. But the air was growing close, fetid, sulfurous, suffocating. It is no nightmare, I hear the sea. It is breaking in mighty waves over my head. Ah, my limbs are numb, my breath is gone, my brain is going. Oh, if I could only cry out once, Mother, Mother! Then the darkness and the coldness as of death closed in, wrapped around, and settled down upon her with the weight of the grave. And for the time being Wynnette was dead and buried to all life, sense, and consciousness. When Wynnette breathed again and opened her eyes, she could not at once recover her consciousness. The shock and strain upon her nervous system had been too severe and protracted. She heard and saw, as one half asleep. She heard the awful reverberations of the thunder of the sea. She saw around her blackness of darkness, relieved just in one spot, a few yards distant from where she lay, by a small fire on the ground, that smoldered in the foul air, and cast a lurid light but a few feet around, and fell upon the face and form of a crouching figure squatted near it. It was a Rembrandt picture. Wynnette watched it in weak, dull, stupid despair. Whether it was a man, woman, or even human being, she neither knew, nor cared, nor questioned. Nor could anyone else, even in the full possession of their senses, have at sight classified the strange figure squatted by the low fire in the subterranean abyss. Wynnette was too stunned, dazed, and weakened, even to fear it. And yet it was a dread, a frightful, a terrible form, tall and gaunt as could be well known, even in that crouching attitude, by the length of legs and arms. Its skin was like wrinkled parchment and clung close to its bones. Its face and features were strong and bony and sharp. The eagle nose and the pointed chin nearly met over the sunken mouth. Burning black eyes flashed and flamed under beetling brows. White hair, parted over the top of the head, rolled in silver waves down over shoulders and back. It wore but one garment, a dark red gown, with sleeves that only reached to the elbow, and a skirt that only reached to the knees. It was squatting, as we said before. Its knees were drawn up, its long, gaunt, dark arms were around them, and the great claw-like fingers were clasped upon them. The head was bent, but the blazing eyes were fixed in a burning gaze upon the face of the recumbent girl. A memory slowly awoke in the mind of the stupefied girl. She began to recall some of the phases of her night's adventure. When had it happened? How long ago? An hour ago? A day? A year? A century? How long, and where was she now? She dimly remembered when she died, and how she died, how the faintness of death crept upon her, how her breath went and then her sense, and then nothingness. But how long was that ago? She could not think. Where was she now? She could not say. One thing was certain, she had died, and she had come to a bad place for her sins. She was in darkness. She was in that awful pit of utter despair whose name she could not bear to breathe to her own spirit. And that thing by the smoldering fire was her demon jailer. Thus much was certainly true, she thought, and yet so dull and stupid was she still that she did not care very much where she was, or even wonder at her own insensibility. At last, seeing that the creature by the fire still glared at her, she tried to speak, and at length muttered the question, "'Who are you?' Nobody was the slow, soft answer, in a tone strangely sad and sweet, to come from such dried and withered lips. "'Are you alive?' breathed Wynnette, in fearsome tones. "'Alive? Nay, babe, nor are you,' replied the same slow, sweet voice. "'I thought so, that as I knew I was dead, 
but I thought maybe you and, and, and the other dev, I mean the other, I mean I thought the natives of this place might be alive, faltered Wynnette. Nay, child, I am as dead as well as thou. We are both dead. But I have been dead longer than thou. Ay, ay, many years than thou, I reckon. For thou cannot be older than sixteen or seventeen, and I be ninety-seven. Ay, ay, I have been dead a long time. The voice that spoke those words was as tender and plaintive as the notes of an Aeolian harp. Are we, are we in, I mean, are we in the woeful place? Yes, babe, we are in the woeful place. You and I, and many, many, many millions, and millions and millions of others are dead and buried, and in the woeful place. I feel as if I were alive, though. No, not quite, but almost alive, said Wynnette, first pinching her own arm, and then setting her teeth in it, and biting so hard that she only escaped breaking the skin. That's a delusion, my baby. You are not alive, neither am I. But they are alive, she cried, lifting and waving her arm. They? Who? demanded Wynnette. They, the victims of hate, power, cruelty, and despotism, whose ruined earthly tabernacles lie all around us, all around us like the broken shells upon the seashore. They are alive. They are the martyrs of love and truth, the martyrs of faith and freedom, of humanity. They are alive, baby. They stand among that great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and peoples and kindreds and tongues, before the throne, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Ay, ay, they are alive. But you and I, we are dead. I, I think I understand, said Wynnette, who was beginning to regain her mental faculties, and to recognize in her surroundings some subterranean cave of the cliff, or crypt of the castle, and her companion some harmless lunatic. We are in a sense dead and buried, and in a woeful state. But where, in all this woeful state, are we now sitting? Don't ye ken, Barney? We are in the place the tyrants call the dungeon of the dark death, and the heaps of grey and white lime that ye see here, or ye might see, gin it were light enough, be the mouldering bones of their victims. And the latest victim of all was my lass, my lass. But death could not hold her, nor darkness, nor coldness. She came to life and ascended. She is a fair angel now, one of the fairest of angels. But though she is alive and we are dead, she has not forgotten us. But she comes on this day every year and visits our graves. I always see her when she comes. I can see her through all the clods of the grave that lie so heavy on my heart. Mayhap you may see her too, baby, but I don't know. I don't know, murmured the plaintive voice, as the old creature slowly shook her head. Does she, does she come here? breathed Wynnette in an awestruck tone. Ay, she does, and every time she comes she shows me how her body was murdered, and how herself came out of it alive. Look, look, the woman suddenly started up, crossed to the side of the girl, and clasped her hand and held it fast, saying again, Look, listen, and she pointed up to the upper end of the cavern. Now by what psychological law this weird old creature impressed her own visions on the imagination of the girl, let the occult scientists explain, I cannot pretend to do so. But as Wynnette looked and listened, there came a whirr through the air, and a thud, upon the distant ground, and the form of a young woman and a child lay there. Wynnette tried to shriek, but her voice died in her throat. "'You see her,' murmured the old woman. Wynnette tried to speak, but failed. "'Watch,' said the crone. Wynnette watched, breathlessly, her senses reeling. The shape presently began to change, as clouds change, from form to form, and presently to arise like a pillar of mist— 
and take the form of a woman, young, fair, angelic, with an infant pressed to her bosom, and with heavenward gaze, slowly ascending in a path of light, which faded as she disappeared. "'There, she has gone, and we will go,' said the crone, as she tightened her grasp on the girl's hand and drew her away. No longer terrified, but awed, confused, bewildered, Wynnette allowed herself to be passively drawn away, and they began to toil up from the depths. Wynnette thought of Dante's return from the inferno, when he saw the stars again. At length, more dead than alive, she began to realize that though they were still in darkness, they were creeping over level ground, or a stone floor. They were stealing along a dark and narrow passage, as she thought, for once when she stretched out her hand at arm's length she felt the damp stone wall. Presently, far off ahead of them, she saw the faint glimmer of a red light. As they drew nearer to this, she saw that it came through the chinks of an ill-fitting door. When they reached the door, the crone opened it, and Wynnette recognized, with feelings of relief, the great hall of the castle, and knew that they were above ground. A fire of faggots burned on the flagstones, and burned more clearly in the freer air than had that smouldering, smoking heap of rubbish in the subterranean dungeon below. The bell-dame drew the girl toward the fire, where there lay nearby a pile of rushes. "'Sit ye down here, lass, and rest,' she said, as she herself dropped in a heap upon the rushes. "'I—I I want to go home,' whimpered Wynnette, in the tone of a frightened child. "'Nay, bairn, thou wants to hear the story of my lass, and none but I can tell it. Not yon woman up in the new castle, for she but repeats the lies she has been told, and she believes. None but I can tell the true story. Sit ye down, bairn, and hear.' "'But it is so late, so late I ought to go home,' said Wynnette divided between curiosity and uneasiness. It is not late. It is not yet one hour past midnight, and thou art a brave bairn, and there be none to harm thee. Besides, I must tell thee the true story. Wynnette drew some of the rushes into a heap, and sat down upon them. End of chapter 44